on page 180 we're back for a slightly new look season two but not too much has changed as we'll have dan lynham checking in to discuss all things marvel as we look at what if season two as well as echo plus i'm gonna catch you up on my thoughts on some of the other shows catching my eye since we finished season one all that and more still to come you're very welcome back to uh season two of page 180 we're going to be changing things up uh if you were listening to the last episode i know it was three hours guys and part of that is uh part of the changes is that we won't be doing episodes very often that will be three hours long um but we spoke about some changes we're going to be bringing in to this season we're going to be making it more conversational based we're going to keep the movie reviews we're going to silo them off into kind of one end of month look back at uh the move the month that was when it comes to movies and so on uh and we have a lot to look forward to we're going to be getting a bit experimental have a few surprises for you coming up as well over the next while i'm really really looking forward to it i think uh we're in a good spot to kind of learn from season one uh obviously starting a new project and a new podcast and improve uh and kind of uh, strengthen the show as we go on so i really appreciate you guys joining us and listening but before we get into this week's discussion obviously we're going to have dan lineham coming up to discuss all things marvel i wanted to check in because christmas and the break and the new year and everything is a great time to kind of reset and for me what i like to do as well as catch up with family and drink too much and eat too much and not go to the gym and get fat again and then really actually have to go to the gym and feel motivated to do so at Christmas is I like to binge shows that either uh, have new content out, like we're going to talk about what if later on, or shows that I might have missed throughout the year. Uh, so I want to catch you up on some of the shows that have caught my eye since we last spoke in December. First thing I want to touch on is Slow Horses Season 3. And for me, Season 3 of Will Smith's adaptation of Mick Heron's spy novels took the show from a really fun diversion with kind of likable, well-acted characters and an always interesting plot to being one of the best shows on television and absolutely essential viewing. Seriously, if Slow Horses isn't in your rotation and you're looking for something to watch, get on it right now. It's on Apple TV. This is a triumph grappled format of not relying on kind of big IP content. Granted, this is adapted from novels, but again, it's not kind of the, the big kind of um, superhero-led kind of stuff that a lot of other uh, providers are relying on. And instead, it's it, it's kind of curating fun, experimental stories and then drafting in a combo of well-cast A-list as well as homegrown actors blended to kind of make it all work. Gary Oldman's Jackson Lamb in this is maybe for me the most fun character on all the TV today. But all of the cast from Jack Loden's River Cartwright downwards know exactly who they're playing and why it works. And the chemistry is absolutely crackling at all times, which makes even the quieter scenes really enjoyable. It's at the same time totally gripping without ever taking itself too seriously either and making for an excellent watch and one that I want as many people as possible on the bandwagon for. And what I love most perhaps about the show is that it can pretty much genre hop and become whatever version of spy thriller that it actually needs to be. So while season one was more of a traditional mystery spy show, uh, last season we had a more kind of uh, sensational hijack plot, while season three was more 
balls to the wall action with a bit of mystery in there as well. But because the scripting is so clever and the character work and chemistry of all involved was so engaging at the same time, no matter what hat this show wears. And Smith has indicated, by the way, that they'll continue to experiment with that into season four. The show continues to work and remain the same show without ever feeling compromised. Again, cannot recommend Slow Horses enough. If you haven't jumped on the bandwagon, get in in time for season three, season four. You will not regret it. Another show that has been released over the Christmas and that I've been getting into is uh, series one of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, which is airing on Disney every Wednesday currently. I was never a real Percy Jackson fan. I'm a big Harry Potter fan boy. Uh, not so much J.K. Rowling these days, but that's another discussion which I've had before. Um, but to me, this from a distance, and it might be an unfair observation that I had, it felt a little bit like Harry Potter fanfic kind of capitalizing on the latter's success. But I'm happy to say that maybe I was wrong. I think, you know, you look at the title, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, it does follow the Harry Potter naming format. So I'm sure they have had some in for inspiration from it and the success of it. But again, it is, uh, it does justify itself when you get into it. The show... More than Harry Potter, which for me was really interested in kind of contrasting the wizarding world that it displayed with bumping up against our own world and kind of showing a lot of the comedic kind of elements of it as well was providing that contrast. But this for me and Percy Jackson reminds me a lot more of Chronicles of Narnia or even the likes of the never ending story and uh, like Willow and kind of stories like that from my childhood. And uh, it's clearly designed to capture children's imagination and then bring you into this expansive world rather than kind of trying to be Good for children, yes, like Harry Potter was, but also kind of interesting for adults and kind of thematically um, daring. This is very much a kid story. And it makes me wish that I was a kid to be able to kind of read and experience these stories for the first time when I think I'd appreciate them most. And that aspect as well, also on the flip side, kind of holds me back from absolutely adoring it too and instantly putting it into my pantheon of favorite TV shows, because instead of connecting with me on this deep emotional level, I kind of feel more like I would connect with this if I was younger. If I was a kid, this would be right up my alley. But I still enjoy it, and that's not a slight. The story is kind of led by Jackson creator Rick Reardon, uh, who made this more out of anger and frustration at how he felt that the movie adaptations missed the mark totally. Uh, it's really well told, uh, with some excellent performances and innovative, innovative blends, along with the more traditional young fantasy beasts be beats of the kind of movie that it makes me nostalgic for so you have a bit of the old school but also you have ways that it's kind of pushing the story forward even like the editing even the way like there's little things even the way when the credits air uh, and they show here's what's coming up next week they show you little glances instead of actually kind of giving you any plot uh, which gets you excited and it's really smooth and just a well told storyline for me if you feel like this might even be remotely up your alley or if you're like, I like stories like this, but I'm not sure if Percy Jackson is really grabbing me. And for me, a large part of it was just the name Percy Jackson sounds like shit fanfic as well. Like no offense, um, but, but it did and it put me off for the longest time. But if you feel like this might be something you enjoy or you enjoy serious uh, similar stories, I'd really recommend this one. 
couple of shows now that I got a chance to catch up on that I just have never got around to beforehand, which Christmas is always handy for doing so. First one I want to talk about is Only Murders in the Building. Uh, I'm two seasons in, and this feels like a show to me, and I know that it gets rave reviews, and the people that love it, love it. So I'm kind of wondering if I'm missing out, but my impression of the first two seasons, and again, Season three may have knocked it out of the park and proved me totally wrong and make me eat my words here because, and I'd like it to do so, but it feels like this is a show that's operating more on goodwill rather than quality. And look, I get it. I want this show to succeed. Steve Martin and Martin Short are two of my favorite comics, and it's really nice to spend time with them in this format, which is why, you know, look, I think you can tell I'm probably not going to give it a glowing review like a lot of other people have but I will still keep watching as a result because there are some genuine laughs here too and really kind of family-friendly comedy, which I'm very open towards. Like, I even like the likes of Young Sheldon, which is like an old-school uh, kind of gentle comedy throwback to previous days. And this has a lot of those same elements while also trying to modernize it in certain ways, such as, for example, if you don't know, the plot is about uh, people who are obsessed with a murder podcast starting their own podcast themselves. And the format and idea is fun so as well all of those things combined as well as a lot of the stars and cameos that they get throughout it's probably enough to keep me watching but there are some for me fundamental flaws that again i'm hoping but not optimistic at uh, that season three will have fixed selena gomez being the main one for me she just doesn't work here she's not funny enough to keep up with the likes of martin short steve martin and tina fey who's also a series regular and the dynamic with her short and martin as a group just isn't believable in any way and it feels like this was a show that was kind of insecure about putting on a show with aging comedians at its core. So they thought to themselves, we need to add someone who's cool with the kids. And then they just landed on Selena Gomez and there she is. And I'm sorry, but she's not a great actress for me. Um, so again, I just, that, that element of it, I'm just not into. Only Murders in the Building is fine, but don't go out of your way here if you haven't caught up. It's not something you really need to or not something I think anyone's going to ever regret missing. The second season in particular for me, was really convoluted and it reeked of a show that kind of didn't plan after their first season, even though they did end on the cliffhanger. So they kind of just brought everyone back and just tried to style it out and make it work. Another show that I caught up on, up on at the recommendation of Kev Keane, who called it out on our 2023 On The Box show, was one of his favourite shows of last year, uh, is the Netflix comedy show I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. And what I like about this show, if you haven't seen it first and foremost, is the length and the format. Basically, this is a skit comedy show. So again, there's no... Um, there's no plot here or anything like that. It's sketches. You could, in theory, watch the episodes in any order and still follow along. And I absolutely love having 15 to 20 minute shows, which is right where this uh, episode length lands, to watch over dinner in particular midweek. Do you know when you're just, you're having your meal, you don't want to get stuck into an hour long TV show. You just want to watch something nice and light and you don't really want to care too much about the plot or you don't want to kind of rush watching it either. You want to keep it there for when you need it um, to try and keep up with everyone else. 
Tim Robinson's comedy, though, is a bit hit and miss for me, if I'm being honest. In theory, I love silly, uh, but clever and relatable comedy. So Conan O'Brien, for me, is the absolute goat when it comes to this. So in, in theory, it should be something I love because that's where it really gets its trade. And that's where sketch comedy is kind of at its finest. They're just, they're like, sometimes, though, for me he'll literally just scream the joke. And I tried watching this with my girlfriend recently and that aspect of it when I was watching, you know, when you're introducing something to someone and you're watching it then through their eyes and watching their reactions. And that aspect to me really didn't work because again, it's kind of like, you know, you get the joke and you understand it. And then he, like I said, I'm not joking. He literally starts screaming it at you. There are some great skits, though, thinking in particular of like when um, <laughs> Stephen Young was in it. And they've some great uh, celebrity cameos here as well. Like there was a sk skit about him not wiping when he went to have a shit. Uh, the Baby of the Year contest, Honk If You're Horny, or the Mega Money Quiz with the character they had, Chunky, not figuring out what his job was or what he was there to do. Uh, those all gave me big laughs. And there was a lot of big laughs here. But again, like I said, it is hit and miss. I'm going to keep this in the rotation because it's such an easy, quick watch and it hits enough to justify the very little effort it requires. So season four, I'm more than up for it. I think you should leave. Again, if it sounds like it's up your alley, go give it a watch because it's an easy watch, 15-minute episodes. But if it doesn't and, and it's something that you don't have the time for, you're not missing much for my money either. I'm also delighted with the returns of my reality TV appointments in the likes of Dragon's Den, which for me, 21 seasons in, somehow has only gone from strength to strength. And I put that down to the younger dragons of the likes of Stephen Bartlett, who is such an amazing find for this show. I'm a big fan of his work. And Sarah Davis, obviously, who's been there for a few years now. But they've also retained the old school dragons that make the show tick and Peter Jones and Deborah Meaden. Well, you also have Tuker Sullivan uh, also playing the uh, crotchety, slightly out of touch dragon role that the likes of Duncan Bannatyne used to uh, inhabit to perfection. Um, the one thing that I kind of worry about with Dragon's Den is this week's episode in particular will have celebrity dragons. So you have Gary Neville. I don't want this show to get gimmicky. I think the show format just works perfectly for what it is. People are always going to have new business ideas. It's a big show. Um, so I'm happy kind of just keeping it simple. And I really hope that the celebrity aspect doesn't come across too gimmicky and isn't something that they kind of start to lean on to keep things fresh. I don't think this needs freshening up. What I'm also a big fan of is, uh, and this is strange because it is a show I like, but The Apprentice uh, for the past couple of years has gone back to back with Dragon's Den. Uh, I'm actually really okay with this because uh, on Thursday nights, uh, for whatever reason, I think just the way scheduling worked out for the past few years, it's been Dragon's Den at eight, The Apprentice at nine, and then First States Ireland at half nine. It was always a real stress for me because I like to watch these shows and tweet about them as well at the same time. Um, and it was always kind of a stress for me that The Apprentice and First States kind of overlapped and so on. Um, so I'm I'm actually glad The Apprentice is is not paired up with Dragon's Den anymore. And I believe that they're coming back for a new series, which I'm going to watch whenever it comes out. Anyway, speaking of First Dates, uh, First Dates UK and Ireland are both back as a Tuesday and Thursday appointment viewing. Loving the fact that it's twice a week. You get the UK one Tuesday on Channel 4, uh, the Irish one Thursday on RTE. First Dates 
UK randomly and unannounced aired an old episode for some reason last week, despite the fact that even on their socials and their cast were kind of advertising to be a new episode. Very, very strange, but just a little thing there. And one thing it actually reminded me of was many of the older waiters and waitresses that they've had over the years that really helped build this show from the ground up. And that aspect to me in the UK show feels a little bare now as only the kind of iconic uh, and always amazing Fred uh, is still there. You have Cece and you have Merlin, who, by the way, uh, I want to wish all the best with his recent cancer diagnosis. I really hope that um, it is a case that it was caught early, not too serious and so on and so forth. But they're the only people remaining from the original and they haven't really had anyone new really stepping up yet. And I think that's an important aspect of these shows. It's not the thing that you watch for or the main thing, but those benchmarks keep you interested as you go on. But the formula just works still, both here and with the new Irish version. From the absolutely cringeworthy Real Housewife of Cheshire a few weeks ago being certain that her date recognised her, and if you haven't seen it, he did not. And yes, it was awkward and cringeworthy to the absolutely rage-inducing date on the Irish show a couple of weeks ago where one lad was so rude to the other that it actually made the papers. You cannot go wrong with first dates and I hope they still pull in the viewers on both uh, because it's great television that still just works and I wanted to see it go as long as possible. Lastly, I want to touch on uh, the first real prestige TV offering of the year uh, being True Detective returning uh, with its latest season called Night Country. Uh, again, if you don't know True Detective, it's a series of mystery stories, usually with A-listers cast. The first season uh, had uh, Matthew McConaughey and, oh my God, I'm blanking on the other guy now. I apologize. Um but you've had like, yeah, so many A-listers throughout the years. Colin Farrell was in it at one stage and so on. Um, but this year you have uh, the first episode aired only this week on Sky. But so far after one episode, I'm loving what I'm seeing. The ca casting is a little bit against the norm as Jodie Foster is the only real name attached to it. But she is more than able to hold it down as the lead detective Danvers. While already I'm loving what I'm seeing from Relative Unknown, Callie Rice, who's been parachuted into the co-lead as Navarro, but seems right at home and able to keep up with Foster's every move. And by the way, Foster or Jodie Foster is having a career-defining performance in an already stellar career as well. It is phenomenal. I am loving just watching her cook already. She had me from the word go with this. It's the first season without uh, the original creator, Nick Pizzolatto, uh, at the helm of it. He's kind of stepped back into an executive producer role because he's working on some other stuff. And you have Issa Lopez taking the reins of showrunner here. But already it seems to be right at home and setting up for a really strong season. I love the nighttime setting of Alaska for maximum head fuckery and kind of mystery. And the mystical elements that seem to be at play have echoes of the likes of Yellow Jackets in the best possible way. While it also retains the gravitan stakes that that we're used to with this show. I'm going to check back in as the series develops, but True Detective Night Country, one episode in, so far, so good. Anyway, they're the shows that I've been watching. What have you guys been watching? Tell me, tweet me in uh, on our socials, our contact us via Instagram, threads even, we're on now as well, uh, however you want to get in touch. Uh, in the meantime, anyway, it's time to talk more TV. Let's go into the spoiler-verse, because it's time to talk Marvel with the one and only Dan Lynham. To your final lesson, Final? Yes. Well, we'll still have our our Sunday evening dinners, but your tutelage has come to an end. 
You're ready. For what? To move from the theoretical to the practical. You and I, we are the only ones we can trust. That's your final lesson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back to it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to check back in where we finished off here on Into the Spoiler Verse. Spoiler warning before we begin. Do not go any further if you have not caught up on Marvel's What If Season 2 and Echo. We it, it, The show's called Into the Spoiler Verse. We're going to be talking with spoilers from here. Uh, if you don't care about spoilers, that's fine. You can go ahead. But do not at me. Don't give out to me if you get spoiled. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, the more things change here, on season two of page 180, the more they say the same, because there is still just one man that I call up every time I need to get my fix a Marvel chat. And it is the one, the only, right back here on page 180. It is... Dan, 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 Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan Lynham. Dan Lynham, you're very welcome back to page 180. It was an interesting Christmas to be a Marvel fan. How was your Marvel Christmas? Marvel Christmas was decent. When the comic book Christmas was pretty good, uh, right. I actually got the one thing that 2024 we were just saying, not after the best start, but it's always going to pick up. Comic book wise, though, very, very good. My partner Kelly tracked me down some Chaos Comics shot glasses from 1994. They are sitting in my glass cabinet now to my right, right here. They're waiting with my 1994 Lady Death figure. Love them, Nash. Nice. And I tracked down one of my Grail comic books on eBay two weeks ago and it arrived yesterday. I'm over to the moon. Amazing. Okay, look, in a good place comic book-wise. Uh, we'll check in on how you're doing Marvel-wise because, uh, like I said, we're here to discuss... An interesting Christmas for Marvel. A lot of content released. Kind of under the radar, though. It's a bit strange because for a, a franchise that you stand, we covered this extensively last year, so we don't need to rehash everything. But for a studio who was used to kind of dominating the the, the pop, pop culture conversation, uh, these are two projects that kind of went in under the radar. Now, you could attribute that to it being Christmas, or you could attribute that to maybe they didn't hit with the fan base, or just, you know, Marvel just isn't what it is. I think we'll get to that anyway, and I think the best place to start off is we'll go in chronological order. And we'll talk about what if, but before we get to season two, just a quick check in on your own thoughts around season one. Uh, and like, you know, was what if something you were into? Obviously, look, big comic fan, you know, you're getting kind of Marvel illustrated, but it's MCU canon, quote unquote, sort of kind of. Um, what were your thoughts on season one? And was season two something that you were kind of looking forward to or anticipating? How just checking in before we get on to season two itself. Yeah, season one surprised me because the comics themselves, uh, the Elseworld tales, uh, tales of the multiverse, a lot of these stories that a lot of companies have always done, I was never a big fan of growing up. I liked the continuity, I liked canon. Uh, sometimes, as I didn't understand it as a younger reader, I didn't like when they deviated from a main timeline. A time I didn't know why, but now it's because it removes the stakes. Mm. So going into what if, I wasn't the biggest fan, I wasn't really excited. But what they did with it, what they achieved in the end was absolutely fantastic i loved ultron prime mm -hmm. i love that there was actual stakes and it wasn't just sideline stories so what if is one of those shows that surprised me that i don't think was i didn't think was going to be for me but it turned out being something that i really enjoyed and something that i actually 
went back to watch as a fan and not to check out something or I didn't watch it because I was doing a continuity rewatch of the mm. Marvel medium. Uh, and I really ended up liking it. I thought there were some hits, some misses, but in the end, what they did, like actually making a series instead of Marvel's answer to the Outer Limits or the Twilight Zone, worked and it worked quite well and like season two a lot of the episodes i didn't think i was gonna like turned out to be the ones i really liked so yeah um what if season one was actually kind of a win for me it was yeah for me it was kind of like wrestling fantasy booking but i agree with what you said they really brought it home by giving it stakes like again with ultron prime it's like the fate of all multiverses is now on the line and that obviously affects our canon and everything else that we kind of go through i really enjoyed the concept myself and i felt like season one mostly got it right kind of using it as a backdoor pilot for the likes of marvel zombies which we're going to get a full season of and that's something that i'm really interested in love a zombie story and getting superheroes in that as well is an interesting concept fleshing out people that we didn't really get a chance to or kind of giving us a second chance to kind of hang out with some characters of course we got uh you know the the final chadwick boseman you know line readings in MCU canon true what if so again that we had emotional episodes like that that again weren't intended that way but ended up hitting anyway and then just you had really interesting bleak twists on stories we know like Strange Supreme I love that that story and that ending of that episode just sticks with me constantly it's something that I'll think about at least once a week (laughs) so again yeah I was kind of hyped going into this uh, looking forward to it and again they, they tried to switch things up and made it a bit different this year by doing a daily release schedule over Christmas. Again, we'll get into what we thought about the show itself, but just in terms of, and again, Echo was quite similar in that they tried something new. What were your thoughts on on this bit of experimentation? Did the daily shows work for you? Was it something that you found yourself watching every day or was it something that you just kind of waited until the end and just blitzed everything? How did you kind of consume it and how did you enjoy this experiment? I watched it daily. And I enjoyed it because it was at Christmas. I think Christmas definitely played into their reasoning behind when they released it. And when I was coming home from work and working in the profession that I do, it's pretty intense. So having what if to come home every day to enjoy was something I really look forward to. Having a new one on Christmas Day felt like a real treat. So I was just a a big fan of how they ran this. Uh, However, if it's something they go for in the future with, like, let's just say, The Agatha Show, for example, if they decide to run seven episodes, Monday to Sunday, Mm. it has to be excellent if they're just running it at a random time zone. So in that way, I don't think it's going to work. And I think Marvel bringing things back to the weekly episodic television show, which we grew up with and Mm. which has proven itself now to be a genuine way of consuming media. I, I'm more happy in that way. I like having something new to look forward to every week. Um, The binge watching thing has shown a lot of its faults through Netflix and stuff like that. So I don't want everything to be released all at once, unless it's something that is of an incredibly high standard, uh, something of a standard that I don't know if we've actually seen from Marvel's TV shows yet. It has to be, very very top tier Mm. Uh, so in that way uh the day-by-day episodes i i think christmas is a great way to introduce it rest of the year not so much um with echo as well being released all in one bulk like i said there's flaws now to the binge watching thing um Mm. powering through it so you don't get spoilers um forgetting key plot points because you're racing through the content 
Um, it's more obvious in bigger shows like I don't know the one that seemed to suffer from a, a, a lot was Orange is the New Black. People yeah. kind of forgot major plot points because they were trying to get like whatever ten to twenty episodes, whatever it was, done in a day, and that's not the way you're supposed to consume this stuff. So in that regard, I'm going to say old school, and I'm going to say let's get back to week by week. Okay, okay. I personally I I love this as well. I thought. What if was just the right project to do it? Because again, this is just a fun extra bit. It doesn't have to count in your head canon towards anything, but it can if you wanted to. Um, and I'm a big proponent of Christmas content drops. Like I remember a few years ago, Pixar released Soul on Christmas Day, and it was a great family watch to actually get down and do it. You don't look up from Netflix a couple of years ago. It's a time of year where people and this is why like i ended up doing a, a 12 rants of christmas special here on the on the podcast feed and the reason behind it was because it's like i actually like having content like again i don't want anything too committal you know what i mean i don't want anything that's going to take up a lot of time but i like having new content come out at christmas because it's usually a time of year where a lot of the content that we like just goes away and disappears for a while um but it's at the time of the year where we're all sitting around at home, we're all looking for something to do, something to watch. And you see it every year, there's a new movie. This year we had Saltburn, for example, where everyone, it was out in the cinemas a couple of months ago, but everyone decided to watch it at Christmas because it came out on Amazon. So it was great having this kind of disposable, fun content every day to just find a half an hour for. And I love that side of it where every day I just made time for it. But again, if it was an hour long, I'd start to get pissed off because that'd start to stress me out. It was just the right length. It was just the right amount of disposability. Uh, and, and I enjoyed this. But again, I agree with what you're saying. It has to be the right project. I just think that what if was the right one? Did it work? Was it something that I heard everyone talking about over the Christmas Honestly, not really. Um, this is the first proper full conversation I'm about to have with anyone about what if, and that's something to consider. But on a personal level, I loved it. Now, that's watching the show and the scheduling and stuff like that as well. We'll get in depth with the episodes and so on for uh, in a moment. But for now, overall thoughts on the season. Was this thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle? What did you think of uh, season two of what if? I'm going with thumbs in the middle for this mm. one. Um, there was like some good stuff, but it felt like it was riding the coattails of season one. Uh, those stakes, even though they were trying to really put them in, seemed a lot less present. I mean, the last episode was just, it was like watching a, a computer game at some stage, and it felt yeah. like that it was a lot of fan service, but it was very empty fan service. Um, but then again, there was also these breakout episodes that I, I just didn't expect to be as good as they were. And the ones that maybe I was looking forward to a bit more, were I, th I felt like they were misses. Mm. So um, I'm going to say season one was far superior. Um, and it, it was a, a testing area for a lot of stuff that, like you said yourself, we're going to see in Marvel. And that we've seen already because obviously Agent Carter... Uh, we saw her in the real life MCU in Multiverse of Madness, and mm. she seems to have become a major fan hit. Like the marketing over her is great. I see actor figures, Funkos, loads of stuff to do with her. Um, and uh, they do real tests of if something works in a comic book media like movies or TV shows when it works its way back into the comic, like the way the Joker was reinvented after Heat Ledger's thing. That can be a thing, and it looks like Agent Carter is going to be worming her way into the comics. So to leave the medium create something new and then bring it back in that's always a success in comics 
Yeah. It, it's interesting, kind of, because I did want to touch on Captain Carter because she was the central character for this. Like, she was the focal point in three of the six episodes. For me, I wasn't as big of a fan of this. Of this, like again, if it's working, if it's selling toys, if it's working from a business standpoint, and if it's like again, a lot of this is to kind of, um, you know, take popular superheroes and you know, uh, give kind of a, a woman's face to it as well to kind of get that representation too. And I understand and re- appreciate and respect the need for that. And ex- I, I, I get the the instinct. Like Peggy was someone who was pivotal to the end of Endgame, but really didn't get much to do in the MCU. And this is someone who, it, it, the most important moment or the most important movie we're supposed to like believe is kind of central to. So again, I, I, I get that. I just don't think that she's as compelling as they think she is. I think her episode for me in season one was arguably the low point. I don't think her character, like here they had her kind of jump between multiverses at one stage. And I don't think... I don't think the serum gives you the power to do that. I don't think that works. I don't think that's something that is a believable uh, string to your bow, to be honest. Like, and and as well, like I looked at it and I'm like, why is Wanda bringing Captain Carter back? You could bring any superhero. Like I would not pick her. I'd not pick any of the Captain Americas. No offense. Like Steve, you know, is a great guy, but like, again, there's much more powerful people you can kind of do. I, I didn't mind her in her own episode this season. Like apart from, Steve's choices at any part of that episode making zero sense. It was a fine episode. It was kind of forgettable, but I don't know. It's kind of like having her be central to me was kind of symptomatic of Marvel's overall problems where they think something is like, ah, this is really working. And it's not even that it's that bad, but it's the fact that they're so committed to it. Like Quantum Mania, like they thought that was an amazing uh, movie that they were releasing. They're like, we did it again, mic drop, MCU is back. And it's just kind of like, okay, that was a that was a bit shit. Like there were some good moments, but also it wasn't great. Um, And that's how we kind of felt about this. In terms of the season itself, I'm kind of similar to you. I don't think it was an overwhelming success, but I thought it was more thumbs up than down. Like you got some good additional character beats from people that were missing or didn't get enough of in the MCU, which is kind of what this show is for, to be honest. There were a couple of excellent experimental episodes that really worked for me and we'll talk about in a second. There was one massive runaway success here that I think we'll we'll both be aligned with because again that's the thing that has got people talking and I really want fleshed out more in the wider MCU and for me even the episodes that didn't work I don't think anything was offensively bad I don't think it was was stupid I don't think anything damaged anything I already felt about or liked about Marvel so again I found like you know even if it was a bit like, oh, that, that wasn't one of the best ones. I was still glad to have my half an hour in the day uh, watching it. So again, like, again, more thumbs up. But again, you can't turn around and say it's a runaway success. And I agree, it, it it's not a patch on season one. But we'll start with the positive. Your, your, the episodes you thought did work, what were some of your favorites? What were the ones that really stand out to you and you'll think about from this season? Right, so the thing about what if, uh, which leads into your question, is that when season one came out and then season two came out and we got the titles. Mm. Your brain goes like a, like a runaway train. Yeah. That's what had happened here. So I had picked out my favorite episodes before I'd even seen them based on the titles, which, okay. I'm, sure you, which I'm sure everyone did. Yeah. And I felt things went the exact opposite way. <laughs> okay, so I'll just throw it out there. Um, What if Iron Man crashed into the Grandmaster? And I'm like, oh, it's going to be just like that crap humor and stuff yeah. like that. 
I didn't expect them to go, right, Park Racing was awesome in the Phantom Menace. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's sort of make it better. Yeah. It's awesome. It was really good. And then, like, uh, what if Kahori reshaped the world? Who is Kahori? Hang on, I'll go through my stuff. I don't recognize <laughs> this character. Um, now I know what you're doing. The thing I didn't want them to do, they're creating the first Marvel MCU standalone character doesn't exist in the comics. Not interested. Mm. Um, and then what if Hella found the Ten Rings? This is going to be awesome. I was kind of wrong in every single way. Like <laughs> the first, and that's probably the thing I enjoyed about this season the most. That I was proven to be incredibly wrong. Yeah. Uh, and what I'm sure you as well, and I'm sure every what you expected the episodes to be based on their titles were not that at all. Yeah. I agree. I agree. For me, the best episode here, Kahori, it was the big win of this season. It's the thing that's going to stick with me. The only slight that I have with it is that the Spanish Armada villains kind of reminded me of the Resident Evil 4 zombies, which I just played that game. You know, where it's like, ah, Luga. <laughs> um, but apart from that, this was a thrill ride into an intro to a new character. And again, I was I was similar to yourself when they started the episode, and I'm like, no, I don't want this. This is really like you're gonna mess with a lot of things. You know, it, it feels like you're trying really hard to kind of uh, appease a certain audience and be diverse and whatnot. But again, I'm not sure this is gonna work. But it was fantastic. It was amazing. I loved it. Like they they absolutely knocked it out of the park. And now I really really want more Kahori. And the only downside is. That the voice actress, the very Jacobs, was actually Bonnie and Echo. So I'm like, oh no, she won't get to be Kahori unless they do some multiverse shit, which they can do. And look, we'll we'll deal with it if they do. Um, because I really want to see her. I think she did such a good job here. I thought that was an excellent episode. I loved the fun experimental episode. Sony and the Grandmaster. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yep. That was fucking hilarious. That was brilliant. It was yep. just Tony and like um Jeff Goldblum, like just having the crack, and it's exactly what we wanted. And the Grandmaster is such a great character that we got so little of that, like, bring him back as much as you want because that is excellent. Um, I love the 1602 episode, I thought that was really creative and different. Yeah. Again, I, I wouldn't have gone with Captain Carter being the hero of it. Again, that was the one thing that I was kind of like, why'd you bring her back, Wanda? Um, but apart from that, I love the experiment of it, I love seeing what these heroes would be like in 1602. I like the twist at the end where, you know, they've been sent back there because of multiverse madness stuff. Um, And I loved another one that I, that I really enjoyed. It's getting a lot of shit. And I understand why, but it's Happy's diehard homage where he saves Christmas. I loved it. I It popped me so much when I'm like, Oh, they're ripping, like, is this, like, kind of a rip-off of Die Hard? I'm like, no, they're deliberately, they they said Die Hard just there. <laughs> I'm like, they're deliberately doing it. Um, Again, I understand why people are, like, happy as the Hulk who wants that. And I do understand. And when they brought him back later on, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't it, lads. Like, this isn't it. It was fine for one as a random throwaway. But, like, this is not your new superhero. No one is asking for this. Um, But the episode itself, I thought, was really funny. Uh, really enjoyed it. So, some big wins there. Um, What aspects of the show or episodes that you feel didn't work as much? So, Nebula joining the Nova Corps, uh, when it revealed itself to be this detective noir, which is, I'm a big fan of, uh, like, a lot of noir stuff. Um. It's an underrated computer game title, but the Max Payne series is mm. very much 
this just this incredible like dark brutal love story slash revenge story and um it's something i've always been a massive fan of uh when they started setting this up i was like i'm liking where this is going a space private eye noir adventure mm. um unfortunately when that's been parody before like another one i could think of is the uh it's always something in philadelphia when they did their version mm. i kind of felt like that was a bit of a wet fart as well and unfortunately uh, when I realized what was going on with this, it just didn't appeal to me. I'm going to break your heart as well, and I'm going to say the Happy Hogan Saving Christmas one was okay. a disappointment because I had something else in my head. I was picturing, I called it though straight away. I said to Kelly, it was like, this is going to be a diehard parody. Yeah. And I'm so on for that. And I was just picturing Happy Hogan bumbling through vents, uh, Mr. Magoo style, like falling on people <laughs> and mistakenly, you know, solving the problem by accident and then when he became the hulk and especially i had a major issue with the design it's like did rob liefeld draw this character because his anatomy looks fucking ridiculous <laughs> so i was just like ah oh, this is falling short read I, I felt like there was potential there but i am gonna be one of these people who was in the camp of that one waned a bit for me that's fair um Unfortunately, like kind of what you said, I am excited about what they could do with Captain Carter. I do think there's potential there, and I do like that character. I got excited when she appeared on screen during Multiverse of Madness. Mm. I was looking forward to her coming back, but the Hydra Stomper thing, it's a story I feel like they did already, yeah. and once again, what were the stakes? What was the resolution? Um. It, like you said, it felt like a setup for bringing her into the 1602 episode, which is one that I wasn't looking forward to because I really am a big fantasy fan, but I don't like Renaissance Space Factory. I'm not Robin Hood. I'm Lord of the Rings. Mm. I'm a Warhammer and stuff like that. So when they actually got that so good and they worked the the dynamics of the characters into this Renaissance era, I actually found myself really enjoying it. Um, So once again, yeah, like, the, the ones that, like, I thought I wasn't going to like, I liked the ones I didn't think, or vice versa, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you. Similar to you, like, I, I really appreciated them kind of going for the Batman superhero spy thriller type with Nebula joining the Nova Corps, but, yeah, it just didn't land. And I felt like this show was at its worst. I got really worried the first few episodes because at yeah. the start it felt like, Whenever the show started going into Avengers Assemble mode and just throwing stuff at us when it was clear they didn't really know how to flesh out stories, um, that's where I felt it was weakest. The finale, for me, I wasn't a fan of. I liked what you said there about a video game because it did feel like you were just going from level to level and the stakes didn't actually matter. It was just throwing stuff at you. It was like a music video. It was just like, again, oh, there's the zombies. There's Wanda. There's this. There's that. And it's just like, no, come on. There was no coherent story. I was really intrigued by the idea of an evil young Peter Quill under Ego's influence, but then they turned him good after two scenes and, it was, and then they just went back into Avengers mode. And the Hella episode, I know we mentioned there as well. It just felt like, again, I was open to it. I'm open to more Hella stories, but it just felt really random mashing her together with the Ten Rings. Like, they just I thrown... I thought that was going to be Ultron Prime. I thought she was going to become this super-powered character. Yeah. And then based on, well, I've Hella found her for Ten Rings, and then the final episode, what if Strange Supreme intervenes? I was like, Strange Supreme versus Hella, powered up by the Ten Rings, and whatever else she collects on the way, here we go. 
but we didn't get that. She just no. was another female character just switched out essentially, and that was it. Once again, no impact. Yeah, and and as well, like you know, making o- Odin this evil bastard without ever really getting into it. I'm I'm really open to challenging the legend of Odin. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, I could get into this, but just kind of giving it to us like he was always evil all along, and I'm like not really getting into any character depth. And as well, just like putting her together with the Ten Rings, like it literally just felt like they were throw they threw darts at the board, and they're like, hella. Shang-Chi, what are we going to do? Let's see if we yeah. can make it work. Like pack family guy system, put narrow mm-hmm. walls in a tank and get balls with random things on it and see what happens. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong, all of the above had positives. Like I thought Kate Blanchett did really well to make Hella likable and funny. Um, I thought she like I, I did did it work overall? No, but that's not her fault. I feel the finale, like, for as much as the plot didn't really make sense or land on an emotional level. It did also feel a bit like a Royal Rumble with cameos. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, this guy and this guy and this guy. So it was fun from that standpoint, but it just left me empty at the end. And I did appreciate the ambition of the Quill and Nebula stories. But again, I just felt like they ran out of road. They just couldn't figure out where to go with it in half an hour. So they're just like, let's just have the Avengers come in and just save everything. You know what I mean? And again, like even in the Quill one, I did like, you know, a look at an old school 80s Avengers, you know, and that's that's that was interesting, but they didn't really do much with it. They just kind of brought random characters in and then didn't give anyone enough time to shine. So again, nothing offensive here, but it's just a case of uh, it is what it is. Um, I, I want to move on. To talk about it. I know everyone's waiting for us to talk about it. We've talked okay. about every episode except one. Go for it. No, go. You go. You go. I'll leave it to you. Everyone's waiting to talk about the Kahori episode. Yeah, let's go. Let's talk. Which is the one that no one was waiting for, no one cared about, and ended up being arguably the best one. Incredible. And had absolutely no right to be the success that it turned out to be. Yeah, yeah. Kahori was the MVP of this season by an absolute mile. This might have been the best episode of What If that they've done yet. And again, like, uh, I, I don't say that lightly because I love the Zombies episode. I love the Strange episode that I spoke about. The finale last year was quite good. Um, So, like, that that's that's a decent... But I, I'm okay putting it there. Kahori was phenomenal. She, like... Absolutely nailed it. I thought the performances were great. I thought the story was great. It was really well paced and patient and well scripted. It's so hard to tell a standalone story on the scale that they're trying to do half an we're half an hour on the clock. And like from the start, because where they can get away with it is because we know these characters, we're so connected to them and we care about them. But to tell an origin story, to make us care. And it never felt rushed at any stage, but they got so much done. And then they even had the cliffhanger at the end. It was masterful. And the and the way you do that is your lines have to hit. Your scripting has to hit. You really have to care about the stakes and the characters because what they say matters because they only have 30 minutes to say it. It was absolutely spot on for me. I thought, again, would you put it up there? Like, is this the best episode of What If Ever? That's a great question. Uh, because I loved the absolute tragedy of the initial uh, Strange Supreme story. Mm. I loved that, you know, a love story can drive someone to such madness. And once again, I made reference to 
the outer limits as uh, you know this is marvel's outer limits and there was one of them that i remember quite well with robert patrick from terminator 2 this amazing episode that had the most tragic ending ever i'm not going to spoil it i it's on youtube i know if anyone hasn't seen it and are curious i highly highly recommend it 45 minutes you will not regret it. it's 90s like fantasy sci-fi goodness but the ending is absolutely you can feel your soul leaving you with despair and that's what that episode did so these two are going to be the standouts of their respective seasons for me which one's better Without a rewatch, I can't say. And it's, mm. in my opinion, for me, it's not fair to say. But these would be the two if they're like, watch one episode for season one, watch one episode for season two. These are going to be the two that I would go to. Yeah. And I, I can't be mad at this season. I, no matter, like, you know, even if there were, if the other eight episodes were terrible, they still gave us this. You know what I mean? So um, an absolute masterpiece for Marvel. And look, I, I really hope Kahori becomes uh, a more featured character and gets brought into the wider MCU, like I said. Um, season three has been announced, but, you know, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit concerned about that. Like, do you think that Marvel have enough left in the tank for season three? Or is it the well already running a bit dry? Like, or And if they do, what is there any ideas that they haven't touched on or any characters? Do you, what would you like to see in a season three? I mean, really, you can do anything. Um, It's just that I think, like you said, they've just chose a lot of very odd things to do. Mm. Um, Theory crafting is one of my favorite parts of uh, comic book lore. And really, if you wanted to get the best results for season three, what I would say is get the most fanatic, sugared up comic fans straight on a Wednesday after buying their new comics, stick them in the room and have them talk about like a bunch of 12 year olds what would happen if batman fought omni man and all this sort of stuff like these ridiculous things that like kids come up with mm. that's the magic of what if you know it it's in title what if yeah you know and go back to embrace that the one thing i will have about the kahori episode was that you can make the argument with the with, with the exception of the introduction wasn't really a what if episode yeah. you know it it is just uh it happens. Deal with it. it <laughs> uh, and, like, the only catalyst was the Suter Odin Tesseract element. Yeah. But they could have introduced this a million different ways. The Tesseract could have just been there. It could have been, you know, it's been traveling the universe since the Big Bang. They they could have done this like a million different ways without having a what if element to it. Not that, that takes anything away from the show, but if you're going to do a what if, think about the most ridiculous things you can think of mm. and give them to us as fans. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of things we could think of, but you know, what if Wolverine was bitten by the radioactive spider, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, like that, that's, that's like a very simple one that like a, a comic book fan after the first months of reading comics would say, but there's potential there. Yeah. You know? Uh, like with the Daredevil thing, what if that happened to Peter Parker and Matt Murdock and the two of them switch places? I mean, you've got Marvel Ultimate, uh, the second iteration of that comic book saga launching this month. Mm. And we are seeing Spider-Man, who is one of the most, as the fans call it, mystery characters of all time. Yeah. He's being bitten by the radioactive spider in his 30s in this alternate universe. And so far, things look like they're going great for him. <laughs> so... Like, you know, what if Spider-Man wasn't completely shit on by the company that created him and <laughs> everything he loved was constantly taken away from him? There's a what if season three episode. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I, and as well, I do like the fact that 
like where I like what if is when they're telling stories about one simple thing changes because that's essentially what the multiverse is. It's like instead yeah. of turning left, you turn right. And what would happen if you turn right? You know, and this is all there's a whole alternate reality and there's infinite realities of them that spin off. So, again, you don't have to overthink it and you don't have to even go too crazy or get too ambitious. You can just be like, here's this fork in the road moment what if it went a different way and how would that look and how would that impact every other character in that and how would that butterfly effect spin out for me i would like to see more of this i do enjoy what if but what i'd like to see now is them to take a break for a few years and get a few new toys to play with because the one thing i've noticed with this episode and and again it's not the concept it's more just the the writers behind it there's an instinct in these to default back to the kind of good times of the infinity saga and there's a lot going on there and while that's entertaining it's also kind of damning for newer characters like in this series for example there was zero mention of the eternals kate bishop yelena shuri miss marvel she hulk and a lot of the new characters they've introduced in phase four that you'd think they want to focus on going forward. Instead, they're going back and going, hey, Iron Man, hey. You know, yeah. and for me, I think I'd like to see them introduce X-Men, introduce Fantastic Four. Let's kind of dive further into that relationship with Sony so we can look more at Spider-Man. We can maybe get Miles Morales stories or Venom stories involved. He's Venom's now been in the MCU technically uh, before we go back to this well because the risk is there that if these stories continue on the path they're on, they're just going to start getting really convoluted like Hell and the Ten Rings. Like, And I think people might just stop caring because I think there's potential there and I want to protect this concept. I think they need to just take a beat and just go, right, we need to, we've told every, like, Infinity Saga what if story, okay? What's next? And who are these new characters that we can kind of play with? One new character they could choose to play with, we're going to speak about now, because I want to talk about Echo. But before we do, it is into the spoiler verse. So as we always do, we're going to put you right back into the mode uh, and we're going to recap everything. Don't worry, guys. I'm not going to do an all recap for every five episodes. We're going to do an all recap for the entire series all in one. This is Echo Limited Series Season 1 and only, well, from all indications. And we opened Echo with the first episode, Shaffa, where Maya ingratiates herself to Kingpin and the show tries to ingratiate itself to us when she finds freaking daredevil she wants to finish the job she started in hawkeye with new york crime boss kingpin and to do that she needs to go back to oklahoma i didn't really understand how you fight a new york but anyway okay fair enough the war begins in episode two loak as moya wrecks Chula's car with biscuits doing a train heist and blows up one of kingpin's bases biscuits has to sell his playstation to repair the car and what for me despite this being a story about a deaf per- an or a deaf orphan with a tragic past growing up in a marginalized society whose painful history we constantly relive via flashbacks throughout that may have been the saddest part of it for me i'm not gonna lie i'd really be sad if i had to sell my playstation in the third episode, Too Close sees Kingpin strike back using Vicky, uh, who's that little shit long-term employee that you put off sacking for years, who still moans about having to do the basics of his everyday job, who to kidnap his boss, Henry and Bonnie, in Henry's skating re- rink. Maya says the day and goes full John Wick on everybody before it's revealed that Zane has Bonnie at gunpoint, and just as it looks about like Maya's body may echo, huh? lifelessly on the ice rink floor uh kingpin calls off the goons because he wants to meet her for sunday dinner 
The penultimate episode, Taloa, shows us that Sunday dinner for Kingpin means murdering the help while drinking a nice Chianti. This guy clearly hasn't just heard of NDAs. Like, come on, man. That's just unnecessary. He explains how he murdered his father, who used to beat his mother with a hammer, and offers Maya the chance to be Queenpin alongside him, which is a tempting offer, giving the charming life stories that he's sharing with her. But once she declines, uh, as she instead decides to leave Oklahoma. This enrages Fisk, who decides to stick his goons on the local fair in the finale Maya and kidnap Bonnie and Chula both of whom Maya made peace with uh, this brings Maya back home where she encounters a vision of her deceased mother who explains that the inspirational Choctaw women in the flashbacks of each episode echo through her get it eh echo there you go Maya asks her but why was I nicknamed echo before this revelation and it gets really awkward so Taloa just shows her a cool new superhero suit instead she confronts Kingpin using the echoes of the Choctaw which somehow gives Chula and Bonnie plot armor and superpowers too don't ask too many questions guys instead of killing Fisk though she re-traumatizes him by bringing him back to relive his father beating his mother which is really fucked up thing to do even if he is evil right that's just horrible this freaks him out so he bails and in the mid credit scene decides to run for mayor of new york city meanwhile maya has now banished the ghost of her past and we see her enjoying family dinner with the family she's now reunited with to end the show and that was echo at uh, dan before we get into the thoughts of the episodes and series itself in terms of quality this was another experiment by Marvel on multiple fronts. We talked about, for example, the release schedule and how they dropped it all in one hour on Netflix. Uh, but also it was the first ever Marvel Spotlight project, meaning that it was a standalone and didn't require you to follow all of MCU canon. And even the bits that were discussed in canon, they kind of just gave us uh, a montage of that again to catch us up, as well as being the first mature rated release. Uh, did these elements and these experiments kind of work for you before we get to if we actually liked the episodes themselves. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Review is going to be brought to you by a lot of wrestling references and the phrase shit or get off the pot. Okay. You're going to make the MCU version of the Marvel Knight stories, which when they were released were totally revolutionary and fantastic and was Marvel's counteraction to what was going on in the industry at the time while they were recovering from a monumental failure. Do it properly. If you want to give us a mature rated show, do it. This this show has drawn similarities to a lot of stuff. And while like they were obviously trying to bring it in the direction, they just couldn't commit to it at all. If you're going to do a violent show, do a violent show. Make it shocking. And there was just that one scene of the blonde murdered guy whose mm. name is because don't give a shit about any, any character in the show. Um. It's it's like it wasn't that gory and the fight like black CG blood like just guys commit please mm. and also this is just gonna be a quick thing if uh, like a super duper deadly assassin that could be shooting people like all over the place in mid fight scene and killing people like it's willy nilly can kill a giant three hundred pound fat guy at point blank range like commit it's that simple. We didn't think the kingpin is dead, but stop patronizing us. Mm. Jesus Christ. I wanted to make this show, but I just don't understand what they were trying to achieve. It wasn't Marvel Knights, which is what I assume Marvel Spotlight was going to be. Yeah, isolated, as was Punisher Max, or the original uh, Jessica Jones run back when they released those under the Knights title. 
And yeah, if you knew the comics, there was payoff. If you didn't, it could be enjoyed. You didn't achieve that. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. This is probably the first time where I think I can remember us actually disagreeing on uh, our, our thoughts on the show. I watched this in two sittings. And to be honest, for me, the I, I agree that you shouldn't do this. And and I don't like, especially when you're talking about Orange is the New Black uh, and, and a lot of the Netflix shows they released all in one. I really, I watched that show and I enjoyed it. But every year, because I watched it so quickly, I didn't remember what happened by the time the new series came around. Um, but for me, I actually thought that this was one that worked watching it all because I watched it in two sittings and that helped me stay much more engaged than having to wait a week only to be bored to tears like we were with Secret Invasion. And there's no one right or wrong way to do TV releases. Like I said, I have issues with Netflix content dumping it sometimes. And I think in particular, they missed a huge opportunity a couple of years ago with the last uh, series of Stranger Things uh, because I thought like if they released that week after week and let us like parse it and theorize and talk together. They could have had a Game of Thrones like monopoly on the discussion the summer was released. So I don't think that I, I don't think that that works all the time. But I think you need to weigh it up project by project because the thing that failed for me about Secret Invasion more than anything else was that that week that we waited because then and we did it on this show you can listen back if you're a glutton for punishment but we theorized and hoped every week. Maybe they'll do this and make it good. And then we're just disappointed when they didn't. And that might have happened here if they did the same, I felt. If they'd have gone every week, we'd have gotten hyped up. And like, maybe it'll turn around. Um, But they didn't. And instead, getting all, it, it, to watch it in bulk was a benefit for me. I do like the idea of spot of uh, spotlight standalone stories. I feel that's what the MCU is missing now, to be honest. Just like go back to basics and tell one good coherent story rather than having to dilute each new release with kind of Easter eggs and cameos and teases of like what's going to happen in the future at the expense of actually just telling the fucking story of the movie or TV show you're trying to tell. And I, I think this told one story well, and I appreciated that. And it, I agree with what you're saying about the adult focus stuff. It felt like, and and that was the scene where I thought, like where like the shooting in the in the ice rink. I, I I'm like, oh, this is the uh, token excessive blood moment. You know what I mean? So I agree with that, but I I'm okay with. I, I like the turn towards that, and I like the intent of it because I feel that. When you look at the likes of Deadpool, The Boys and Invincible, the mature pool is where the big wins are for these stories now. So Marvel dipping their toe into it, I'm, I'm okay with I, At times, it did feel excessive and for the sake of it, but it is nice to know that they're willing to go there if it works too. So let's get to it because I think we're already discussing it. Let's talk about our thoughts on, like, I was going to ask if this was a successful series, but that feels like a stupid question, <laughs> given what we said. You did, you weren't a fan of this, quality-wise. wanted to be, um, but from a storytelling point of view, no, I can't say I was. And um, I did watch this um, over a course of five days. When mm. I came home from work, I we we went through an episode uh, nice. in that way uh, so i watch it in a very similar way to the way we consumed what if yeah um and i really wanted to like it so here's the thing about me and echo i remember when the echo character was released in the comics and a guy i was working with at the time was very excited about this and he gave me uh, a trade paperback of echo's first appearance now 
Echo in the comics, Echo in the TV show, really only share an aesthetic and a name. That is where the similarities end. But you could have taken everything in the comics that did make this character interesting, put it into this show, and really have not affected what they were trying to achieve. And why they didn't do that, I don't know. The first scene where you meet Echo as a character, she's in, I can't remember, I think it was like an orphanage. And someone comes in to play a grand piano for these orphans. And the character, she's very young at this stage, the way she was on the show. She stands up, she walks towards the piano, she sits down beside the pianist and plays exactly what he just played. Now we're talking about like high level, maestro level piano playing. She doesn't understand what he's doing because they're like, how long has she been playing piano? And the carer goes, she's never played piano before. She's deaf. Mm. And that was like, wow. What's going on here? The thing is that she can mimic anything that she sees, hence the, the name. Yeah. And this could have worked so well in this, and they could have gone down that route, and they could have even kept the Native American ancestry and worked that in somehow. They could have used that to explain it, but said, no, she makes shiny. That'll do. Whatever. It's quick. CG. People love CG. All the stupid people who consume our crap love CG. Uh, Marvel's licensed print money. Like Star Wars. We never failed with that. Oh shit, we did Solo. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like I I was just really annoyed by the show after I watched it because like I said, I wanted to enjoy it. But I felt like I was being patronized more so mm. than I think anything. Uh, and it was with like this D-list character. And I was like, you don't book a WrestleMania and put Scott Steiner and Top Dollar in the main event and expect it to sell. So don't give me Echo and market it as the greatest goddamn thing in the world when we've had the stuff that came before it. Mm. You know? I yeah. just put Triple H and Chris Jericho on after Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. We look at that lesson. That was only 20 years ago. Secret invasion and got that echo. <laughs> Dad, got, Dad got so angry there, he became inaudible. Like, if there were subtitles, if there were subtitles there to just say inaudible run, <laughs> I got I got what you were saying. Put Chris Jericho, don't put Chris Jericho and Triple H after Hogan Rock. <laughs> I'm I, I actually I like this show and, and it's very interesting because I have seen reviews that said this is awful. This is another awful MCU show. And I've seen reviews saying the MCU is back. So we're actually echoing uh, I didn't actually mean that. Uh the <laughs> the sentiment. But look, we echoed, we did the thing. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, for me, I had a feeling this would be good because she was a D-list character and they'd committed something to it. Um and 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 like again, that gives you an indication that there is a story they want to tell there. Um, was it hit with the audiences? I I don't think so. I'm not hearing a huge amount of buzz yet. I am hearing a bit of a split from the people who would be watching anyway. Um, and and again, people like ourselves are coming out very hard on both sides. Look, it's a mature superhero story. Is it the boys? Is it Deadpool? Is it invincible? No, it's not even close. And I'm not saying that by saying that I... But, but I enjoyed these episodes. I thought they told a good story. And for me, this is kind of what Marvel needs to do to win back the, the hardcores like ourselves and, and build back that confidence and trust. Just making simple quality content then 
we can kind of we can promote that from there as well, like kind of, and we can do that. MCU is back promotion itself. They don't need to do backflips. They don't need to do major, super expensive flops in the cinema or anything like that. They've got Deadpool. He's coming in the summer. He's going to bring in the bacon. That's going to pack the houses. Ryan Reynolds in the MCU. Sold. Sold. We're all going to fucking see it. Everyone on the planet will. And then you've got X-Men 97 being re released this year. So X-Men are finally going to be brought into the fold in a meaningful way. So for me, little wins matter because that's the thing that's going to impact us. For me, this, this won me over and it was just a good story well told. I thought... A large part of that was down to the lead character playing Maya, Alakor Fox. Um, I thought the cold eye of Hawk the cold open of Hawkeye, which is a very underrated show. I rewatched that before this, and we need to talk about Hawkeye more. They did a lot of good stuff in that. But I thought her origin story was arguably the high point of that series. And for me, I thought they held to that standard here for the most part. I like superhero stories where people are overcoming challenges that normal people have to overcome like Maya's deafness to succeed it's a really powerful avenue of storytelling to be mined because it kind of plays on the idea that these people have to are almost superhero like day to day in overcoming their afflictions to kind of live normal lives so to amplify it to superhero level is very easy to expand but it was really tough to do. Like she had no dialogue, obviously, or line delivery to work with. So her facial expressions and physical acting acting needed to be on point. And <clears throat> sorry. And it doesn't help that Maya is naturally reserved, kind of understated in her personality. So the fact that I never really felt bored or underserved with her in the lead was a huge testament. For me, again, not saying this is up there with the boys or anything close to that, but it's a solid project that told a good story for me. But obviously, we feel very differently. Was there anything that you liked about this series? Was there any kind of positives, or are you just no hated it all? That's the problem. So once again, let's draw a similarity like what we've already done to uh, Secret Invasion. It was that was a weak story, weak developments. It, it, like I said, the phrase I always use is "part in the fog." It <laughs> didn't do anything. Echo had a lot of potential, and you hit on it perfectly. Like the lead. Uh, my my Lopez as a character was was I actually thought very engaging. Mm. I thought it was an accomplishment when you realize, like maybe somewhere around the third episode, that the character has not spoken any dialogue, but it's not affecting the story. Yeah. Um and that you did have this ensemble of really good talented actors. Um, but the problem for me was that that potential was there. Right. And I that's why I felt like I felt a bit hurt by the show. And the more I thought about it, because watching it, I, I was enjoying it. And then after every episode, the next morning, someone was just sitting off with me. And the more I thought about it, the more I just uh, realized that it, it, this, I think, fell short. I think they had the building blocks of a great story. Um, and, and I think they fell very, very short due to a lot of just strange decisions that didn't make sense to me. Um. Like I said, one was her powers or her, I guess, maybe you can't even call them powers from yeah. the comics, just not translating over into the show at all. And I felt that this uh, ancestral thing should have been used as a story arc and not a power. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was, I for me, that almost came across as disrespectful. And actually, on that note, the one thing I need to do, because this is another show that unfortunately has been hit by a bunch of neckbeard, window-licking arseholes in the Rams' basement, shitting on a show because it's got a non-white female lead. Yeah. Um, 
The thing I think I've mentioned before that I really liked about our days when we were wrestling is it provides you, especially in this country, with a very unique perspective of we're quite a storytelling rich uh, country and mm. our people are the same and one of my favorite things about wrestling which you don't get to see as a fan is all of those nights we went to hillbillies with the dragon gate guys here we were sharing stories with the guys from mexico the guys from central europe the americans the canadians and just these amazing kind of bonds that we formed talking about uh sharing not talking about but sharing our cultural differences and that is a great eye-opener being able to do it in your own country being able to travel to other countries and see the beauty and the intrigue and the way of believing other people do things is a real eye-opening thing why people that get involved in wrestling seem very travel very worldly Uh, and for people just to shit on something because it doesn't reflect their what they see in the mirror annoys me and it also annoys me as well that we need the prefix that I don't like this show because I believe personally it was bad storytelling um, that we actually left in a worse place storytelling wise than where we went in. Mm. And it's not because of where he chose to go. Um, I have had been fortunate enough to be able to speak to some Native American people. And I think Irish and Native American do, I found they share a lot of uh, cultural similarities. Mm. Um, we're very rich in storytelling. We do have connections. We've been victims of oppressive colonization. Um, obviously, they came out like worse, I think, than anyone who ever was. Yeah. But this is not why the show is being ripped on. Because people online are doing this. We need to state that this is not what's going on here. Yeah. Um, I saw this being the MCU's answer to something like uh, people have said history of violence or I saw Logan I, or maybe the movie Zatoichi, the Japanese one about people who don't want to resort to a violent world being ensnared in that. And I felt that that could have been a better story, like Maya's resistance to this. Um, I felt the Kingpin character, I just did not get the motivation of anything he's done. We've mm. seen Wilson Vick in so many other, uh, in so many different iterations. We've seen him in the comic books, the animated Spider-Man TV show, which I always draw a reference to because that was amazing, and more recently the uh, Spider-Verse uh, saga that's going on right now. And he was portrayed differently in all of them, and they worked. Are they trying to make him into this emotionally unstable Lex Luthor character because that's mm. what he's become through the show, and this could have been terrifying character came into the show and in my opinion has left as this giant baby who now wants new york and if he doesn't get it he's gonna cry about it (laughs) i i don't like what they did with him i think they hurt a very powerful character who was so easy to write so I've gone off on a tangent here, but to go back to the original question of was there stuff that I liked about this show, that was the problem. There was a lot of stuff I liked about this show that, in my opinion, as a fan and only as a fan, they utilized incredibly poorly. Okay, okay, interesting. And look, that's incredibly well-spoken and and a great point, uh, great point you brought up there. And again, I don't think that, look... I think it's okay to dislike this show, and you know, I, I I do appreciate that. Yeah, there is a contingency of people who are never going to like it just because, like you said, it didn't represent what they see in the mirror. But I don't. I, I feel that like it's a valid standpoint, even if it, it, it. I did enjoy this more. Um, 
it's tough to make a counterpoint of something so well spoken, but I'll try. Um, I, I thought there were successes here. I really liked the focus on the indigenous history here. Yes. You had the Reservation Dogs director, Sidney Freeland, working on this behind the camera. Um, and I thought that he that brought that real love and celebration of that culture to the fore. And I felt that that made it stand out. I loved the, the, the cold open scenes and the mini stories about the Choctaw. I thought in the, in, in a vacuum, they were all entertaining unto themselves there. I thought they were brilliantly directed. They looked phenomenal and each one was unique, but also I liked the really subtle character building. I agree with what you're saying, because again, like when in the last episode, when, and this is just, this is Marvel all over. Like when it comes down to, right, make it all make sense in a, in a finale battle. They always fall short on this point. But like when, you know, you got the vision of Maya's mother kind of telling her, this is why you are who you are. You have the, the history of the Choctaw echoing through you. And then I'm like, oh, right. Okay, so how are these characteristics going to play out? And it's like, look, my hand gets shiny. And she's mm. just got Miss Marvel's like kind of uh, powers. And it's like, okay, I don't see how that works. Um, So look, I, I, I do get it. But I thought like there were a lot of great moments in here. I thought its heart was in the right place. Yes. And I thought like, again, not anywhere near the level of some of the great, great superhero stories we're getting these days. I do hear what you're saying. And I agree to a point what you're saying about Kingpin. I feel like what they relied upon was that everyone has seen Daredevil and they're just saying, that's the same Kingpin. Look, it's the same actor. It's the same guy. So just take everything you know from that and just apply it here. And they didn't really do much with that. But I think Vincent D'Onforio, he can't control the script that he's given. He can only do what he has. And I think he did a great job with that. I think he carries the character very well. He does bring a depth to him that we're not see used to seeing with Kingpin. Often Kingpin is portrayed in various forms as kind of, you know, this rootless brute who's just greedy and power and money hungry. Um, I thought they tried to give him empathy and round out a story and give him an arc and a reason for how he became how he became like by giving the the backstory of of him having to grow up in a horrible home. And that lends credence to like a lot of his actions then it kind of gives him a justification that a lot of Marvel villains just don't have. They're just evil because they want the shiny thing. I thought it's like, yeah, no, most villains would be like, they were normal kids one day and they just saw horrific shit when they were children and they had to grow up in that environment. And now they just don't give a fuck because they weren't picked up enough. So they don't have empathy. And that's what Kingpin is. And I feel that he adds a new flavor of villain to Marvel that's badly needed. It's not just a mystical being who's more powerful than the superheroes who wants the shiny thing. It's actually just a mob boss. It's a Donald Trump style figure. So I kind of get where they're going for with that and I appreciated it while also appreciating a lot of what you said. I liked some of the fight scenes. I liked the kind of single cam one shots that they were going for. The Daredevil fight scene I thought really worked uh, well. I'm glad they just made that a one-off cameo and that was as, like Maya's way of proving to Kingpin that she could kind of hold her own. Um, so again, and, and they didn't just lean on and make this there the next season of Daredevil, but just kind of continued uh, like like teasing Matt Murdock and just edging him into the storyline uh, where obviously he's going to get his full opportunity. 
some of the humor I thought was excellent. Like I loved biscuits driving home the car down the road and then like just looking to the left and then Tula's look were just like, oh, for fuck's sake. I thought it was really simple, but they, they played it well for laughs. And some of the acting, when it mattered, I thought was incredible. Like I loved the, the hard hitting scenes in the last two episodes with Maya where he had Tulo's reunion with her. I loved the decision by Maya to just go, no, fuck you. I'm like, I know you've got emotional. I know we're having a reunion and all, but I don't accept your apology. You ban- you abandoned me. Love that decision. I thought everything that Katarina Zierfogel uh, did as Maya's mother to Loa absolutely knocked it out of the park. I thought she was the best character in the show, um, including Maya, and I thought she nailed it. So for me, again, a, a lot to like here. Um, but let's get on to where you know, I feel like you'll have a lot more to say. Um, talk to me about what you felt. And again, you've you've touched on a lot of it already, but in specifics, was there anything that you felt it was lacking or what made you kind of come out against it more than anything else and specifically? Yeah, I guess like you're right, I've already kind of uh, pretty much covered this because I was getting a bit overzealous, but the, like was it the potential and Kingpin were the two things I touched on that really didn't uh, work. Um, I, I, and I also get what you say about the Kingpin trying to give a character like this dimensions, but I think maybe the Kingpin works because he's a bit more one-dimensional. Mm. Um, he's always been a character that I find, especially in the comics, that has been observed uh, from the other character's point of view, and that's where you really get a feeling for his power. I can't remember which comic it was, but I remember uh, Spider-Man referring to the fact that he doesn't have superpowers but one of his punches is filled with like a, a kind of refined rage that it feels like you're being hit by, I think he said, some like a small meteor. Mm. Um, there's a control to the Kingpin. I remember once again, the Spider-Man cartoon, there was a great line of uh, most 300 pen pound men are useless, but let me show you what 300 pounds of muscle can do, which once again speaks to his discipline. And he's supposed to be an incredibly disciplined person, not only running a giant empire, um, but having this like ability to shape his body in such a unique way where he looks like this fat, overweight guy, but when it comes down to it, very few people can hold their medal against him. Um, So the Kingpin was the biggest failure, and his development just seemed asinine to me. Uh, so I just I they I feel like that they hurt the character. Um, okay. I'm gonna say something like an incredible hot take. Yeah. I think the kingpin from the Ben Affleck Daredevil was better than this kingpin in this <laughs> because he is what he is. You got what was on the tin. Well, I didn't want to see the kingpin acting like a child. The the ice cream vendor thing didn't make any sense to me. Uh, I understand why he bet him up, but I believe the Kingpin would have been a bit more methodical and cynical. He would have maybe promised this guy something. I'll get you off the streets. I'll do this. And uh, then maybe he just like beats him into a pulp and tells him to contact his lawyer for a payout. So the Kingpin owns him as well as him being terrified of him because he's beating him into a pulp. And I just didn't like this temper tantrum thing because it speaks to this character's loss of control. And once again, absolutely nothing down to the acting. And that's the problem again, the potential loss. It was down in this case to the writing. Mm-hmm. And a character like the Kingpin, I just don't think would run off in the finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, did the writers forget that there was a 
like about a half dozen guys armed with automatic weapons and just was biscuit drove over them in a monster truck and <laughs> that was it um i think the the wins i know you've asked me about the bad things but i completely agree with you on what they did with the uh the cultural introductions that they gave us every time be them more mytho- uh, mythological and also touching on the lacrosse thing which is a real hot topic right now because I'm not sure if it is the Choctaw Nation, but I'm sure you've heard the story about the Native American team not being allowed into lacrosse in the Olympics. So when that came on, I kind of got a bit fired up because and I I was saying to Kelly, oh, yeah, this is like what's going on. And it's uh, and I I really liked how they showed that because they've been arguing, look, this is our sport that we invented, but it's not a sport. It's how we settle disputes. It's how we celebrate stuff. And to give us glimpses into um a people who have almost become a parody of themselves through the media that has been in the zeitgeist for the last 60 years with tontos and the like. Yeah. We're finally getting to see like what I was fortunate enough to see by talking to these people one-on-one. Um, and as much as they celebrated the culture, I thought that was very well done. But the one thing that I felt that they kind of backed away from in a cowardly fashion is the modern oppression that they could have worked in mm. to what these people feel and a movie that did it fantastically and a movie i i know you definitely watched because you've seen everything was uh wind river mm. um and there i i felt that there there when i they were going to do a female-led native american show that some of the issues that they deal with constantly might have been broached or at least mentioned in this and I feel having them not in an adult orientated show was a miss. You could have still celebrated their culture, but you could have brought to light like issues that could be used as a very sensitive character development tool, but were just ignored almost like it didn't happen. So once again, it's the potential and the ability not to pull the trigger on the potential here. Uh, yeah. The fight scenes were very entertaining. I'm, I'm loving that we're getting away from the Jason Bourne shaky cam crap that I am sick of. And that was seems to be a 10-year isolated way of telling um, physical storytelling. And and I did really enjoy the action sequences in this. Um, but once again, like I said, the, the thing, if I was to summarize this, how I feel and why I feel about it is a lot of potential. But once again, like I said, like shit or get off the pot commit or don't bother and mm. that's what it comes down to for me personally i think yeah look i i, I hear that and like again i think you're you're making great points and and there's there's certain things i agree some of the things i had issues with where it's the finale it's marvel and finale uh, yeah. like they, they, they seem to be unable in, to do them now and i know that's why you yeah. love the She-Hulk finale, because once again they did a parody of themselves yeah yeah and and, and like i thought like they had a powerful origin story well told and they did have that scene with Taloa and Maya in the finale. So again, I can't fully hate it, but as is so often the case, it's like when they try and bring everything together and could tell that story, like it just didn't really work. Like why did Chula and Bonnie have powers out of nowhere? Why? It's just because they needed a numbers game. They're like, well, we need people to fight them while she fights Kingpin and stuff like that. It just didn't make sense. I, I, I am happy that Kingpin lived. I want to see more of him. Like, I think you can weave him into kind of, you know, 
he's in New York City. So many other heroes are there. Whatever you want from him, he's now the villain that's set up in that base. And I do like the fact that they're geographically setting up different villains. You know what I mean? You have Kang's out there in the multiverse. You have Kingpin in New York City. Where our characters are based, you know, th- there's certain good villains there. But I didn't understand Maya's choice not to kill him. Like, I didn't understand. It just felt like a cheap. And this is the one thing that, again, is absolutely criminal in a spotlight series that's supposed to be standalone. Like, you should be able to commit where you need to commit with the characters. You shouldn't be just keeping someone alive because you need them for future canon. This is standalone. Like, give us a standalone villain that we can, if they need to die, they can die. Or if they need to go to prison, they can go to prison. Don't just leave, let him walk out of there and go back out for just because the plot demands it. I also had little nitpicks throughout, like Maya's deafness, meaning they had to rely on texting as a way to do dialogue for her. But then you also had her, like she supposedly was one of Kingpin's gang bosses, and she's just admitting to exploding stuff over texts. where I'm like, she's not going to do that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, if you want to be taken seriously as a crime drama, that's not going to be the case. So there were, look, it's by no means a perfect show, and the finale, again, just didn't. And I, that's... It's the problem with Marvel and a lot of the TV shows because even the ones that are good sometimes, you know, will have a shit finale and then you just let, get left with a serotation amount. And again, we're coming from a position where the last Marvel TV show we discussed was Loki and we were almost spoiled with that and how they nailed the finale in every which way from Sunday. But again, yeah, it is disappointing. So the last thing I want to focus on is, I think I know the answer to this, but... Would you like to see more of Echo in the MCU either with a series two? I think I, I think I definitely know the answer to that one. But even just showing up as an Avenger or cameos, are you happy to be the let this be a spotlight where it's one and done and you can just forget it ever happened? Or or, or would it be something you'd like to see more of or elements of, of this show show up elsewhere? Yeah, because of the points we covered, I think I could see it swinging either way, and I would be happy with it either way. If this is the last we see of Echo. And that character's story has been told. I'm I'm cool with that. However, like I said, because the main gripe, once again, which we keep referring to is the lost potential, the character still has avenues that could be explored. Uh, the character in the comics does become an Avenger. Hmm. Uh, the character in the comics has a pretty gnarly outfit. Um, I know they didn't do the Hand of Sauron thing because it would have been too close to some of the elements they're, I'm assuming they're going to use in Daredevil Born Again and maybe just the actual Hand of Sauron thing. But uh, yeah, Echo still has potential. Echo can be can be worked into something, maybe like in a B team, if they decide to do their own iteration of the Defenders, the poor Defenders, you always get shit on. <laughs> the poor Avengers. Um, maybe if they were to do like a B team, uh, that'd be grand. I think Echo could work as a bad guy in the Thunderbolts. Ooh. You know, she, she's that she's of that level because the Thunderbolts yeah. are like a, a, a post human sort of team. Uh unless I'm kind of forget anything, none of them have like too great a power. Uh but yeah, I think she could she could work in there. But there's loads of places that the character could fit in. So she's definitely not a lost cause. The problem is once again it all comes down to one thing is just that storytelling. Yeah. Um, where they just missed the mark, in my opinion alone. I don't you know what I'm glad that this show is actually dividing people who are willing to have a rational discussion about it because that's what makes this stuff fun. I am a huge fan, as I said before, of the clone saga story in Spider Man in the nineties, 
and that's looked back very unfavorably. Um, me and you, I think we discussed this years ago. We were both fans of the failed invasion in wrestling, mm-hmm. and I was like, if you were watching that week to week back in two thousand and one, you would never use the word failed. Yeah, One of my yeah. favorite wrestling moments is still when Mike Awesome won the hardcore title. <laughs> I tell you, go back and watch that, but try and get the context in it and what that information. A WCW guy in 2001 with a WWF title. I'm, I'm just sorry, nothing failed about it, but people don't like it. Yeah. But it brings up great discussions. What could the clone saga have been? How could they have booked the invasion better? And then we have this one in the MCU. What if they decided to do the history of violence in Echo? There's your one episode. What yeah, if Echo yeah. was written by a bunch of competent writers? <laughs> there you go. There's no better way that I can tie it off. So, uh, Dan Lloyd, always a pleasure to have you on. I'm looking forward to more discussions with you throughout 2024 on Marvel and other comic book stories. We have a lot to be excited about this year uh, in this avenue of storytelling. So I'm sure we'll be uh, seeing much, much more of you as I go on. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us as always here on page 180. That's all the time we have this week on page 180. Next week, we've got the return of an old favourite here where I'll be calling up some old friends for, let's just say, a little bit of a rumble. Keep your eyes peeled on socials for more info as we release it over the next few days. In the meantime, follow us on socials if you haven't already. TikTok, follow myself on Twitter or threads. We're also on Instagram as well. But until next week, this has been page 180. And take that, vile asparagus woman.